We are continuing with the reading of excerpts from the book Legendary Lake Ponderay by Jane Fritz and Friends, and read by Jane Fritz. Area 5, Hope Peninsula to the Clark Fork Delta. Overview. Going east, past all the activity of Hope and Ellisport Bay, Highway 200 becomes rural again, all the way to the town of Clark Fork. There are three attractions worth visiting in this area. The Hope Peninsula, the Denton Slough Waterfall area, and the Clark Fork Delta and Drift Yard. The Hope Peninsula is home to the David Thompson State Wildlife Preserve, where no hunting is allowed. It is a safe area for deer, Canada geese, and other wildlife, and the animals wander freely along the roadsides. Called Beyond Hope, This area is also a residential and recreation area. The Forest Service-managed Sam Own Campground and Recreation Site is rated one of the top 100 national campgrounds in the country. It is a beautiful 65-acre park with a swimming beach. There's also an interpretive site at Sam Own about David Thompson, a fur trader and the first white man to visit the area in 1809. Cully Spell House, built by Thompson in the vicinity, was the first trading post in the inland northwest. Back on the highway, get ready for the ride of your life, for this is remarkable lakeshore. For almost five miles from Peninsula Road to Clark Fork, except for only a few homes, this is largely undeveloped private land. In the many years that I have lived here and the hundreds of times that I have driven this stretch of road, I have been so grateful for the shoreline's relatively unspoiled natural beauty, especially at night. The night sky, except for when the moon is shining brightly, is actually dark. Few scenic places exist where light pollution has not seeped in, and this is one of them. It's partly because as you drive parallel to the shore, the land across the lake from you is public, mostly Forest Service land. There are no lights, simply because it is a wild place. One of the more amazing experiences a person who treasures wildness can have in North Idaho, without hiking far into the backcountry, is simply to pull off the highway onto the access road at the Clark Fork Drift Yard and get out of your car. Just listen to the soft murmurs of Canada geese on the water, or the wail of a loon as you gaze in awe at the full moon poised above the green monarchs, or watch for northern lights or meteor showers to dance across the night sky. Sometimes, when the water is glassy, you can even see stars reflected on the lake's surface. This area is the genesis site for the Kalispell tribe and one of their most culturally important places. The Kootenays have ties here as well. Although I've never had it verified by a Kootenay tribal elder, I once read that the tribe believed when a Kootenay died, his or her soul went to the sun and came back to earth between Hope and Clark Fork at Lake Ponderay. This area is indeed sacred to many people. The place once known by locals as Indian Meadows, which is now mostly underwater from hydroelectric development, 
was a traditional site of large tribal gatherings. Another reason to visit this resplendent part of Bonner County is to see wildlife. The marshes and wetlands around Denton Slough and the Clark Fork Delta are home to a tremendous diversity of waterfowl, fish-eating birds, and mammals. It is one of the most vital wildlife areas on the lake and critical habitat to thousands of migratory birds, including tundra swans. There are 15 rare animal species, as well as three rare plant communities found living here. Some of the interesting bird species to watch for include western grebe, osprey, blue heron, and common loon. You might see a moose up to his neck in Denton Slough munching away on aquatic vegetation, or have a beaver slap his tail on the water, startling you as you kayak along in the delta. The Clark Fork Delta is a paddler's paradise. There are sloughs and backwaters to explore where you literally can get lost. Binoculars are best for watching wildlife and for a closer look at the numerous birds that depend on this shallow area for food, shelter, and the rearing of their young. Tribal Gatherings at Indian Meadows The day after David Thompson's arrival at Lake Ponderay on September 8, 1809, Kalispell Indians in canoes escorted the expedition to the grassy meadows in the Clark Fork River Delta east of present-day Denton Slough. Here, Thompson's party came upon a large Indian encampment with dozens of families representing the three tribes present, Kalispells, Coeur d'Alene's, and Kootenays. The native peoples were very friendly and invited Thompson and his men to camp for the night, probably because they had already received word of their coming. As Thompson relates in his memoir, he was given dried salmon and other fish with berries and the meat of an antelope. Thompson called the gift a handsome present. The northern shoreline of the delta continued to be an important traditional fishing and camping site for upper and lower Kalispells in spring, summer, and fall until the early 1940s. A few old-timers from Clark Fork and Hope still remember the large Indian encampments that took place at the mouth of the Clark Fork. Families from a number of tribes around the area, Spokane, Bitterroot Salish, Kootenai, Coeur d'Alene, Nez Perce, and others, would join the Kalispell at this traditional site, which white settlers called Indian Meadows. The Kalispell name for this place means banks and waters are dark. The Kalispell referred to Lake Ponderay as Big water. The Indians would spend time fishing for whitefish, pike minnow, bull trout, and cutthroat trout, and dry their catch on sticks at warming fires near their sleeping lodges. They even went night fishing with torches to fish for char or bull trout. Their horses would graze on the grasses in the long meadow of what today is Denton Slough. They would also hike or ride horses up into the surrounding Cabinet Mountains to hunt deer, bear, woodland caribou, and mountain goats, and to pick baskets of huckleberries. My friend, the late Henry Sijon, spoke fondly of these times. Each summer as a boy until he was 15 years old, 
He traveled along with all of the Kalispell grandfathers and grandmothers to the Clark Fork Delta. Henry's relatives would pack up their tents and belongings and travel by horse and wagon from Plummer, where they lived on the Coeur d'Alene Reservation. It would take them three days to get here. Henry's mother and grandmother were always very emotional when they arrived. They missed this place so badly, Henry would recall. When they got here, we'd unpack the tent, and before we'd even put it up, they would sit on the tent and cry and wail for about 15 to 20 minutes, while everybody just stood around and waited until they got through. He used to say their strong feelings were both an appreciation for being able to return again to this special place and in bittersweet remembrance of earlier days. The last summer Henry spent at the edge of the Clark Fork Delta was 1932. His eyes welled up with tears and his voice quivered as he recalled those years spent here. He believed it was as close to a utopian lifestyle that any person could live. They would visit with old friends, make new acquaintances, and barter for goods. Even weddings would take place. Henry said that every summer was like returning home. And when you return home, I remember him saying, everything is good. But when Henry spoke of the destruction of their traditional meadows with the building of Albany Falls and Cabinet Gorge hydroelectric dams, the tears in his eyes were from sadness. The dams flooded their traditional lands, killing native tule bulrushes, cottonwoods, and old-growth cedar. Important religious sites and ancient rock petroglyphs were submerged. Nothing can ever replace what we had, Henry said. But in 1999, the Kalispell, Confederated Salish and Kootenai, and Coeur d'Alene's returned to this site once more. For the first time in 50 years, a tribal gathering at the Clark Fork Driftyard took place, led by Kalispell elder and spiritual leader Francis Kaluuya. Tribal elders from several tribes, native drummers, singers, dancers, and a couple hundred non-natives celebrated what this place continues to represent to tribal people today. The gathering was blessed by the animals as well. A bald eagle and a pair of ospreys circled overhead, and to punctuate a brilliant red sunset at the end of the ceremonies, the wail of the common loon was heard. Although changes to their traditional lands have persisted, the Kalispell still bring their tribal youth here to experience their cultural traditions. You might encounter them paddling a canoe like their ancestors did, or fishing or hunting for dinner, or picking huckleberries in the surrounding mountains. The tribe has worked hard to keep their traditions alive. Their heritage is a priceless legacy for the youth and a grateful acknowledgement to the elders who persisted in preserving what it means to be Kalispell. As they say, in the future, we hope for a wonderful life. Wildflower Notes, Camas When only native peoples lived around Lake Ponderay, each spring the lovely blue flowers of the edible bulbous camas plant would color the landscape so abundantly that grassy meadows like those around the Hope Peninsula and Clark Fork River Delta appeared as water. 
common or blue camas, a member of the lily family, was such an important food source to the Kalispell that they became known as camas people. The camas plant's bulb, about the size of a woman's thumbnail, provided a staple food for the tribe. The nutritional value of the starchy bulbs exceeds brown rice. Native women would dig the bulbs in early to midsummer with a specially made tool, a digging stick, and then roast the peeled bulbs underground with heated stones and between layers of black lichen. They would form them into loaves and cakes and store them for winter use. The interpretive historic trail at Pioneer Park along the Ponderay River in Newport, Washington, just west of Old Town, Idaho, offers a glimpse of the Kalispell's ancient food preservation system, including the archaeological remains of camas ovens. Today, tribal members still roast and preserve camas bulbs in the traditional ways. However, with the introduction of non-native grasses and herbaceous plants for livestock after white settlement, the camas has been outcompeted and their numbers greatly reduced. It's also important to know where the edible plants grow and the difference between the edible blue camas and the poisonous white-flowered death camas. This is because the plants often grow together and bulbs are dug after the flowers have bloomed and died away. As a valuable ethno-botanical plant to the Kalispell people, camas is best left alone for native gatherers to harvest. Wildlife Viewing, Western Grebes The grassy meadows near the site of summer encampments of nails were called various names by the area's white settlers, but the name that stuck was a combination of railroad man Dennis Thornton's first and last name, Denton. After the Albany Falls Dam flooded the meadows, it became known as Denton Slough. Today, Denton Slough is habitat to many fish-eating birds, waterfowl, and mammals. Thousands of ducks, American widgeon, gadwalls, pintails, redhead, greater and lesser scalp, green-winged teal and mallards, and grebes, mergansers, tundra swans, and Canada geese use the slough during migrations. But Denton Slough is especially noted for being the breeding and nursing area for a rare and sensitive colony of long-necked resident western grebes. The western grebe is not a diving duck. It is a piscivore, or fish-eating species of bird. This is the elegant water bird that you've likely seen in nature programs on television. Pairs of adult birds gracefully dance across the water's surface during their remarkable courting display, with their long necks arched in a beautiful curve. After the dancing and the graceful head bobbing while singing their distinctive crick-crick cry, they mate and begin building their nests directly on the water. Using their beaks, the birds dive underwater and pull up native milfoils and pondweeds and gather them into a deep and large floating nest in which to lay their eggs. Once hatched, the chicks remain in their watery nursery, first fed by the adults and then learning to fish on their own until fall migration. Depending on the growth of aquatic vegetation, the birds can be on nests anywhere from June to August. 
This makes them very vulnerable to strong winds and predators like bald eagles, who also nest nearby. Ravens and otters. Nature can be harsh. Several years ago, a group of grebe watchers, myself among them, saw dozens of nests with females incubating eggs, destroyed over two days' time. One of our members saw an otter going nest to nest. It was a devastating loss. In addition to natural events, these breeding grebes are also extremely vulnerable to boaters. I've encountered and gently educated at least one jet skier racing in and out of the slough right through a chain of nests. But these birds are even more wary when the boats approach slowly. A nesting female will typically leave her nest when a canoe or kayak gets closer than 150 yards, leaving the eggs or chicks not only open to predation, but also cold or heat depending on the weather. The birds are not great flyers, so they scoot away from boats. The constant drone of nearby traffic and trains does not disturb these birds, while an angler or paddler can spell death. I find the best way to enjoy the western grebes here is to watch them with binoculars from shore. This is true for most wildlife watching. Keep your distance. This colony of grebes has been experiencing a decline in nesting success at Denton Slough since 2005, a situation most likely due to human disturbance more than anything else. The birds have also been moving into the Clark Fork Drift Yard, a place where they don't encounter boats but are more vulnerable to wind, waves, and predators. They are now on Idaho Fishing Game's list of species of special concern. In addition to the western grebe are other species of grebes on Lake Ponderay, including the horned grebe, pied-billed grebe, and redneck grebe. Western grebes are often mistaken for common loons. Although from different groups, these two species of piscivores share some things in common. Long, sharp bills for spearing fish, diving completely underwater and coming to the surface somewhere else, and carrying their young on their backs. This is in addition to lobed toes on legs placed far to the rear of their bodies, rather than webbed feet, making it difficult to walk on land. Solid bones to help them dive, and those haunting red eyes, which help them to see their underwater prey at greater depths. The best practice to ensure the survival of this breeding colony is to stay off Denton Slough altogether, or keep your kayak or canoe out past the slough into the mouth of the Clark Fork River and around the peninsula. There are plenty of other places on Lake Ponderay in which to play and fish, but by all means, watch their unique antics for as long as you can, especially after dawn and before dark. They are truly remarkable creatures. Anecdota Paddling a Kalispell Canoe The first time I met J.R. Bluff, a Kalispell tribal member, was in 1991 at an environmental education camp for American Indian youth held in Clark Fork. We were both camp counselors, but I was the one that had the responsibility of organizing canoe trips to a tribal sacred site in the Clark Fork Delta. 
I called upon several friends with canoes to help. The first evening's paddle went smoothly, but the next trip was a near disaster. The lake was unusually rough from a storm that had just moved through. It was brisk and windy as June can sometimes be. Suddenly, I realized two girls in a small peapod-like vessel had capsized. They had life jackets on, but they were in very cold water. Not knowing what to do, I sat in my cedar canoe on shore, frozen with panic. J.R. kindly told me to get out of the stern, which I did, and taking my canoe, he paddled out to rescue the students. Not only did he save the girls from hypothermia, he taught me a lesson about preparedness when it comes to being responsible for others on the water. Several years passed before I saw J.R. again at a Kalispell powwow on his reservation in Usk, Washington. We laughed about how so many years before he had rescued a novice canoeist on land. Since then, we have both grown more proficient in our life's work, I as an environmental writer and oral historian, and he as a tribal leader and now assistant director of the tribe's culture program. We both have become more adept at canoeing, too. Now he regularly takes tribal youth canoeing on Lake Ponderay as part of his cultural work for the tribe. So it seems perfect that J.R. Bluff was the first Kalispell in 65 years to paddle a traditional Kalispell canoe again on Lake Ponderay. The Kalispell were a canoe people, but with acculturation, a different way of life on the reservation took hold, and canoe-making became a lost art. A skilled boat builder in the Sandpoint area, who wishes to remain anonymous, had researched their unique sturgeon nose design and built a canoe out of traditional natural materials. It is quite different from other Indian canoes. When Kalispell leaders saw the canoe on display at the Bonner County Historical Society Museum in Sandpoint, where it still is today, they asked the boatwright to help them build another for the tribe in 2000. J.R. and Francis Kaluuya director of the tribe's cultural program, were both involved in the process of making the second canoe. Beginning with stripping the bark from a huge 50-inch circumference, live, western white pine tree. The bark had to be removed as a single piece and be longer than 20 feet. Before pioneers logged the hillsides bare around Lake Ponderay, western white pine was the predominant species here and these trees were giants. In making the Kalispell canoe, the rough outer tree bark becomes the inside of the canoe, and the smooth inner bark becomes the outside surface of the boat. The skeletal structure is cedar, and it is lashed together with chokecherry bark. It has a nose of birch bark, and the seams are sealed with pine pitch. It is a very handsome vessel on the water, and as it ages, the outer bark surface turns a reddish-gold color. J.R. talks about his first paddle in a Kalispell canoe as if he were riding a new horse for the first time. It took a few minutes before he and the canoe got comfortable with each other. I am a Kalispell, he remembers saying out loud to his waterborne steed. 
He paddled the pine bark canoe out from the Hope Peninsula near Memelus Island on an April day where snow lingered on the monarchs before him and geese honked as they flew past low to the water. Sitting on an alkyde in the stern of the canoe, J.R. paddled quietly into open water and thought about his ancestors. He had read once that people in Hope would see Indian canoes out on the water here every morning. He realized that he was rekindling a strong connection to his past. Sitting in the canoe, the teachings of his elders about gratitude came flooding back to him, of how the canoe was at once a simple thing and also at the very heart of his people's survival. Every time I think of Ponderay Lake, I think of Indian Meadows and the life of the camp, J.R. says. When I'm out there on the water in a canoe, I'm always visualizing the families that came down and camped. This was a shared area. Even though times were tough and we had to gather meat to make it through the winter, the smiles on the faces of the kids running around, the women working hard, the men out fishing and hunting, we were just a common people following nature and basically sharing everything with everyone. We need to keep rekindling our connections with the Kalispell places off the reservation. Being on the water in a Kalispell canoe was a very special feeling, J.R. continues. We were here and we are still here today. Everything is still alive. It gives you that extra energy to get back to your regular daily living and saying, I am going to do something better. There are a lot of people who have paid the price for me to be here, and I have to be sure to keep their memories alive and our heritage and culture strong in the best way I can, he says. This part of the Kalispell past certainly has been awakened as J.R.'s intentions are to carry on the tradition of canoe making as part of the tribe's culture program. Jane Fritz has been reading from her book, Legendary Lake Pondore, Idaho's Wilderness of Water, published in 2010 by Keoki Books of Sandpoint, Idaho. The Bookshelf is a production of Spokane Public Radio. With Vern Windham, I'm co-producer Nancy Roth.